Hi, I'm Lauren. I'm Tia. And this is The Journey to Transformation. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. Cool. Should we tell the people where we're at? Yeah. So we are at a camper, camper, campsite <laughs> in somewhere in the north. Yeah, you don't need to know that. In the north. And we have decided to come here to do a strategy meeting. So as most of you know, we have a consultancy company, Jair and Y Consulting. We decided we needed to check in on our values, principles, and why we're doing this. So we've come to have a bit of a strategy retreat. Yeah, it's been great. Some of the things we're excited about have to do with just taking that one big step back and revisiting what we love, what we want to do, what we're passionate about, what our values are, how we secure that with the work that we're doing. How do we connect ourselves to the bigger why of what it is? Yeah, and definitely. We, we had a good session this morning about short, medium, long-term goals. It was great. <laughs> that was time. good. And I do think like being anchored in these foundations are super helpful to motivate you. And also know that this is where we can grow or this is where we can put more effort in, really gain the power and the change that we want to have in as an organization. It's fun. Did you describe us as an organization? Yeah. Are we not an organization? <laughs> I don't know. Feels... <laughs> Someone's going to start a podcast about us soon. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody's going to start a Twitter about JRNY podcast so racist or something. Yeah, yeah. Have you seen any Glassdoor reviews about us recently? I'm going to make a Glassdoor review about us. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. Yeah. Can we just quickly talk about what we listen to on the news? Because I'm just a bit like, I'd be shooketh. Yeah, go for it. I'm just so maybe just a trigger warning for our listeners. Yeah. The thing that's bothering me right now is this thing that we heard in the news today where between 11 and 15 states are making it a criminal offense for you to bring your child to a drag show under the guise of it being very similar to the laws around taking children to strip clubs. Yeah, major assumption there that drag shows are sexualized or are like the same as a strip club. It's a crazy like connection. Yeah. And in the same sentence, they used it as they talked about it. I've been to a lot of drag shows, right? I've seen some that are like very sexy. Yeah. And I've seen some that are not that at all, that are very much rooted in activism and performance and there's nothing sexual about them. I feel offended by this conflation between drag shows and strip clubs as the as the kind of reasoning here when actually I know that it's got nothing to do with that. It's just like a bunch of conservative bigots who want to further marginalize queer communities. And this is one of the ways in which they're trying to do it. I don't understand this persistent attack why now? Like why is this the hill they're trying to climb? Like for what purpose yeah really and it's going back to conversations we were having with pride and less prejudice who joined us in a past episode go and check that out about like how yeah these laws are just popping up and really suppressing the space and how in ways it's coming in tandem with the rise of lgbtq groups and their rights being more known being more vocal being more in the space it's almost like a as one rises the other does too in a way i don't know if there's any logic to that but i think that we see that in a lot of political swings we had barack obama was mm. like here's a bunch of cool shit everybody enjoy that yeah And then we had Donald Trump, who was like, no, fuck that guy. And do you see what I mean? This, like us as a human population of people couldn't cope with all 
of what that social change meant, which then brought about, like, we had George Bush, right? And then Barack Obama, and then Donald Trump, and Mm -hmm. then, do you see what I mean? It's almost like we can't, like, where's the fucking middle ground? Because I'm getting whiplash with, do I have rights? Is America a safe place for me? I haven't been there in years. I don't know if it's safe. Well, by the news, it's not. Sounds fucking dodgy. I think the UN needs, not the UN because they're shit too, but (laughs) somebody needs to go in and help them. Sweden? I don't know. They're having issues with their feminist foreign policy. Another episode you might want to go and listen to. (laughs) But as we've talked about, does it matter? Yeah, there we go. A rose by any other name. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Somebody needs to go and help America because that place is a fucking shit show. I cannot believe it. I just, I cannot believe it. Yeah, it's shocking. It's scary. It's really and also, I was expecting it just to be, God, I just dare not say this, but one state. A fringe. Yeah, one, two, three, but 11 to 15 just feels like a lot. That's a significant proportion. Yes. We've only got 50. Yeah, exactly. Basically, I mean, there's some that you probably wouldn't count as much because there's... <laughs> okay, let's not go I'm looking that. at you, North Dakota. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I we haven't just offended all our North Dakota listeners. <laughs> there's only six people there, so I think it's fine. <laughs> and <laughs> we're bleeping that out. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I just feel like I don't understand why it's happening. Why now when there's so many things that we could be thinking of and spending our time doing? I just can't understand that there are 11 to 15 states. This is dozens and dozens of lawmakers who are spending their time making it a criminal offense to bring your child to a drag show and when they could be addressing healthcare, yeah, infrastructure, exactly. poverty. Do you know what I mean? Like, wh- like what a supreme waste of fucking time. It's not generative of anything useful for the economy. Yeah. Is this really how you want to spend your time? And I would encourage people to reflect on at a time when we're like all really suffering in a pretty catastrophic economic crisis following the economic crash we had within the last decade and COVID, is this really how you want your lawmakers spending their time? Oh, yeah. The lack of connection to people's realities feels really odd. It's so bizarre. Let me just give an example. Whenever I've seen more risque drag shows, they're in bars. You can't take children into bars. Where do children and drag shows connect? The space that this is happening in, what they're trying to do is attack the drag show libraries. This is another thinking. Yeah, are they really saying it's where where what's the storytelling thing? Yeah, that's it. Drag drag storytelling. Yeah, yeah, which is in a child friendly space, right? Yes, and in a library. What's sexualized about that? Question is, why are lawmakers sexualizing that? They're adding the label. It says a bit more about them and their proclivities than it does about anybody else. True. Yeah, I just, uh, I don't know. And what, so then tell me what the lines are here. Because does this mean there can't be any children at Mardi Gras? Yeah, great point. Are there spaces where people are, yeah, 
having fun. <laughs> no children mm, in fun themselves. places. Yeah, like <laughs> yeah. It, it's yeah, it's a really hard one to. Yeah, can I not? Can you not bring a child to a pride parade? Yeah, that's what they're like. This is what we're getting to. Yeah. This is the stuff that it's trying to get at. It's trying to get at any celebration of queer joy. Yeah, and I just can't. I don't know. I just can't be dealing with it. And I wonder what, like, they're like the gay Republicans. Like, I really am curious as to what they're fucking up to. Are they vocal? Do you know who they are? Yeah, they're called log cabin Republicans. It has to do something with Abraham Lincoln. Log cabin Republicans. Yeah, Lincoln lovers. Never heard of (laughs) (laughs) There's an episode of American Dad where (laughs) the, like, the CIA agent creates a show called Lincoln Lover and mm. ends up with a bunch of like gay Republicans there. But he doesn't realize that what he's done is created like a gay romance between him and like the play is him creating a fake gay romance between him and Abraham Lincoln. Okay. <laughs> a la The Bodyguard with Kevin Costner and Whitney okay, Houston. Okay. So, so yeah. I, but I don't know. Where are the log cabin Republicans and why aren't they? Are these laws being made by people who are anti-LGBTQI plus rights, presumably. because I can't imagine you would be pro-queer rights and do stuff like this. So then, yeah, so where are the, yeah, LGBTQI plus friendly Republicans, which I presume exists based on what you're saying? I don't know how you can exist. Like, I don't know how you can do that. That requires a real dissociation to me that I just don't. Yeah. It's like being... A black woman who's a conservative. Like, I don't necessarily, I just don't understand how you get there. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to imagine. It's hard to imagine how you have power in that space as well. Because ultimately, you want to be a policymaker or a politician or whatever because you want to influence something or have power over something. So maybe you're deprioritizing that part of yourself and saying, I'm going to prioritize this and ignore that bit which basically fuels denial in all parts of that party that's what i mean like you have to dissociate Mm. what is it harry potter horcruxes yeah well you split yourself into seven (laughs) or at least that's what Voldemort did that's the perfect analogy yeah yeah. (laughs) i'll put this horcrux in this fridge and look at it in a few years yeah yeah it is a great analogy yeah i don't get it or being a woman who takes a very hard anti-abortion stance without recognition that is connected to reproductive Mm. rights, which is about your body. Yeah. I don't know why I'm saying you're. These are not the people listening to this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) If you're anti-abortion, fuck off. Turn this off. Probably not for you. You're not allowed to hear the genius that we produce. (laughs) (laughs) If you say so. (laughs) So anyways, I just wanted to, sorry to spend like 10 minutes just talking a little bit about, I didn't intend on spending that time, but we heard it just as we were switching the Yeah, and very much, yeah, very much on our minds from Mm. having listened to it. And I think probably a story we're going to go away and explore a bit more about and understand what's happening. Yeah. We'll put some links to the story in the show notes for others also who want to explore a bit more about what's happening there. Yeah. We're going to control your news. (laughs) We're going to invite you to explore it should you wish. And on a related topic, 
We're talking about the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. Oh, very connected. The OECD. We need a better segue. <laughs> okay, you, trans- yeah. you walk into no, the. I don't have do a it. segue. Do it. I have none. I usually do have a good segue, but it's a really hard one. <laughs> From dodgy power holders in the States to one massive power holder in Europe. Okay. Nice. A bit clunky. Yeah. There's probably a more elegant transition. I appreciate that <laughs> time was not on your side. <laughs> Why are we talking about the OECD, the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development? The OECD is a big power holder in Europe. They're an intergovernmental organization made up of 38 member countries, usual suspects on that list, ranging from Australia, Portugal, UK, Norway, the US is on there as well, actually. Fuck them. <laughs> That's a good the segue. <laughs> Something about the US in there is a segue. Anyway, Italy, Netherlands, Israel, Finland, Ireland. So it's a bit like the UN where you've got all these member states and they come together to make or have discussions and make decisions about economic cooperation and development. And so we're talking about trade. And trade, sorry, Mm. yes. And so we're talking about them because they hold a lot of power in policy decision making in the humanitarian and development space, including through frameworks and processes that guide how people do humanitarian and development work. For example... The evaluation criteria called DAC, which is the... Development Assistance Committee? Yes. So they have a Development Assistance Committee and they created a framework for how to evaluate projects and programs. And it's called, yeah, the DAC criteria. And it includes things like looking at relevance or impact or sustainability. And it's become a criteria or framework that lots of organizations use. In fact, it's so embedded in the way we evaluate humanitarian and development programs that it's rare to see something different. In fact, very rare. I find it really odd that an institution with a focus on economics and trade sorry windy outside is responsible it's dementors <laughs> yeah probably they've come for the whole says <laughs> it's all the republicans it's all the conservatives <laughs> is so heavily responsible for how not-for-profits understand their contributions to the world Yeah. The policy that they frame, I suppose it comes under development. And in some, right? Economic cooperation and development. So it comes under the development piece. Yeah, you're right. I just think it's weird because it it was founded in the 60s, the early 60s, to stimulate economic progress Mm. and trade. You're right. The development comes in there because you need developed economies. Yes. To stimulate economic progress and you want to know if they're effective so one way to do that is to have a a consistent point of measurement so you can say across many things this has been effective this hasn't so that macro assessment of effectiveness if you like sure but the fact that little tiny civil society organizations are using the same criteria seems weird to me like i understand having like development assistance criteria on a macro level i just find it very curious that it's seeped its way into the micro level though i understand the utility of having complementary ways of thinking about things 
But it's also because the OECD is where the donors sit, right? So the US, Australia, Norway, the UK, like the donors are in this and so they're funding so many of this civil so money <laughs> they're funding so many <laughs> they're funding <laughs> humanitarian and development projects so if you're in the OECD and you've all decided and agreed this criteria and now you take that into your funding part yeah that feels pretty logical to me it feels logical but if i don't know it feels like i don't like std transmission yeah and then, you know, but as we know the donors are the power holders they're the ones that shape the framework that then the organizations below take that framework and it goes down and down so there is here's the oecd and they're streaming it all the way through yeah are you happy with me comparing the DAC criteria to stis <laughs> should i be sad about that <laughs> I don't know. You seem um, to accept it really easily. <laughs> Let me process that. It's affected everybody. Yeah. See, but it's gone know. from one development partner to another. Yes, well, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> there we okay. go. And I think the problem is like, and we might come on to this might not be the right time to come on to it, but the space to challenge a criteria that is cemented in all the donors and cemented now in terms of how people use it and how the organizations have been set up to reflect that criteria in fact it's now to challenge that it, it's going to take a real hefty switch okay yeah and, and for me that switch from an oecd centered donor driven framework to a civil society led framework that meets it matches where the sector is trying to move to generally i feel Okay, And so I think this framework and this evaluation framework is a really good example of how the sector needs to switch. Let's move away from this framework and people are challenging it. So as I said, the DAC evaluation framework has relevance, effectiveness, efficiency, impact, sustainability as core criteria. So here it's got added a bit later. Mm. So that was an addition. Okay. There's also a humanitarian one that looks more at like timeliness and has slightly different criteria than the development one. But people are trying to challenge this in an evaluation forums. People are saying, okay, we need to add equity. We need to add transformation. We need to add systems thinking. And so these sometimes do become an additional attachment to the original, but rarely replace it as a whole. If you I see. Environment too is one we've also seen as an addition because climate change. Yeah, because... <laughs> We're all about to die. Yeah, yeah. yeah, just some thoughts on that. Okay, maybe the people should hear a little bit about what these things mean, because you just rattled off a list of six things yes. that I don't... Please, yeah, sorry, go on. Why are you pointing at me? I know, I said oh, you. I, I thought you had a page open and you are about to enlighten us. No, I had it open because I was waiting for you to say something wrong, so I'll catch you oh, out. <laughs> okay, so let's start with the first one, relevance. So the question around relevance, is what you are doing the right thing? Yeah. Yeah. Are you doing the right things? Effectiveness. Are you achieving your objectives? Impact. What difference are you making? The one that everyone loves. Everyone wants a golden nugget. Everyone wants to know they're making a big difference. <laughs> you don't want to be told that you're making no difference. Yeah. And so there's a slight problem with that because it seems that you're making a difference. Yeah, what difference does it make? But you, but this Not, doesn't say a positive or a negative difference. Completely agree. All right. I so would just like, really want to see an evaluation where it says none. But is that even possible? 
Is it possible to do something and make no difference whatsoever? Yeah, I had exactly the same thought. Can you exist in the world and have no difference on it? No, because you exist and so therefore there's a difference. Now we're talking about butterfly effect. Oh, what's that? The butterfly effect. You don't know? Gosh, we're going down a rabbit hole, listeners. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) So in chaos theory, the butterfly effect is a sensitive dependence on initial conditions in which a small change in one state of a deterministic nonlinear system can result in large differences in a later state. How bad? So flap your wings on day one and it could have a massive difference on day 10 sort of thing. Because you're... You've created a wave, and so by day 10, that wave's got bigger and bigger. Mm, no, not necessarily. Okay, let's do... The butterfly effect is the idea that small, seemingly trivial events may ultimately result in something with much larger consequences. Okay. They have nonlinear impacts on very complex systems. For instance, when a butterfly flaps its wings in India, that tiny change in air pressure could eventually cause a tornado in Iowa. Is that real? Is what real? Can that actually happen? It's theoretical. Oh, again, okay, cool. Okay, so it's this idea that a little tiny thing might have implications later on. Yes. For example, there was a spider in the van yesterday, which got you real, real upset. I wasn't able to catch the spider to relocate it. But imagine I caught that spider, relocated that spider outside, but it was inside chasing a malarial mosquito, and that mosquito gets at you, you get malaria, and you die. Yeah, so by you moving that spider, yes. you could have created some issues. That's a butterfly effect. Yeah. I feel like that's... We should, can we do an episode about that? Because I feel like that exists a lot in development and humanitarian space. Yes, although our butterflies have much bigger wings. (laughs) Yeah, true. So yeah, how many times have you had malaria? Only once. Okay. So that's impact. And it wasn't because (laughs) a butterfly flapped its wings. No, not that you know of. (laughs) Not that I know of. I know I'm being metaphorical. Okay. Okay, coherence. How well does what you did fit in? Efficiency. How well are resources being used? And sustainability. Will the benefits last and then you've got environment which is does your project have a negative or positive impact on the environment these aren't part of the official DAC ones no, these but are people ones have added people environment have added. yeah equity. and the I do believe the DAC did have a conversation about equity and whether they should add it or not and there were some ongoing conversations but much like the United Nations because it's a member state organization decision making takes a long time you know they have to come together and agree and review on certain things the same and as across this podcast we've talked a bit about the nexus where humanitarian work development work and peace work come together the oecd has also been a driver in the framework and principles around the nexus and that's taken quite a long time to come through because by the time they figure out nexus we'll be on to something else (laughs) It's going to be quiet on the Nexus front. Mm. Anyway, other things that the OECD does? Supports the UN. Yeah, in um, what way? It supports the UN around the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development, so the SDGs. Okay, so nice. That. So it brings together the stuff that they know, so their knowledge base, the tools, experience. Mm. And because the OECD does a lot of stuff around policy work and working in development, it's a good place to... Yeah. It's a logical synergy. Yeah. 
they they also have ownership over a lot of these big indicators that people use yeah. to measure macro changes in economy. So the GDP, for yeah. example, what does GDP stand for? Gross domestic product. Yeah. And then things about like inflation, unemployment. They have health indicators on life extensity across different countries. Do they have any on mental health? They've got, I've got here health outcomes, but we can <laughs> check that out. They, they might do. They've also got like education, social indicators, poverty rates, environmental indicators on like energy consumption, greenhouse gas emissions. So really a lot of big macro indicators that dictate how we view the world because they're producing these statistics and data. Yeah. At quite a big scale. I don't want 38 member countries controlling how I understand the world around me. It's really a huge amount of power. It's a huge amount of power. And the way you're saying it, because you've got such a hard on for m and E, <laughs> you make it sound so like, <laughs> ooh la la. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean I make it sound ooh la la? The it's way- true. The way, the way that you're describing it, you're like, and they do this and this. I can hear it in your voice and I can see it in your eyes. Your eyes are getting bright and glassy. Your eyes are dilating. Well, my point is that they hold a lot of statistics. Who is auditing the OECD? <laughs> Who is looking at their statistics and saying uh, how you're showing this is not good good who challenges the oecd yeah like it's reliant on a number of this is the same question that we had when we talked about how shitty the un is there's nobody who is like gatekeeping the gatekeeper gatekeeping the gatekeeper or challenging the standard creators like like that quote was from menacen by the way shout out to menacen yeah check out the episode so i just don't really understand like It makes me feel very uncomfortable that the way that nearly every project understands itself is through the lens of 38 people, 38 plus people. (laughs) Maybe we ought to take it down. At least 38 people. Maybe there's a gap in our understanding here about how it functions. So yes, you've got the member state, but there is also like people who work for the OECD. That's why I said 38 plus. Oh, okay. Each member state will at least have one person who's in the mix. But is that how it works? Is it like Norway sends someone and they work in the OECD? Or is it that there is an OECD secretariat where there's people who work there no matter what? And then... When there's big decisions to be made, like the member states send a representative, a bit like the UN. Yeah, I'm assuming that there is a secretariat because there's a secretary general. Yeah. Who is nominated by secret consultation. Oh, sounds very exclusive. It's very dodgy. So the chair carries out confidential consultations with members. And then oh. they narrow the field of candidates and then they identify a candidate and then they get consensus around that person. Confidential consultation, like yeah. a one-on-one, like just between us. Yeah. Hey, Norway. <laughs> I don't know why I'm picking on Norway. Yeah. Hey, Poland. <laughs> what you like. <laughs> Who looks sexy to you? <laughs> and the sexiest like one was Matthias Corman. And where Matthias. are they from? Do they have to be from an OECD country? It feels like they must be. Much like the UN, the World Bank, the World Bank CEO or directorate has to be from the US. Former Minister for Finance of Australia. Okay. Belgian-born Australian politician and diplomat. Okay, then, yeah. Although, prior to that? Huh? Yeah, we don't know prior to that, but it seems like it might be. 
Liberal Party of Australia. Okay. Excellent. Matthias. How do you say the name? Matthias. It could be Matthias. Matthias. I don't know. Just we've said it too name. many times. So, <laughs> Mr. Corman. Yeah. Okay. So, Mr. Corman is the was, current. Yeah. Was decided to be the sexiest one of all. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So, I guess what we're touching on a little bit now is the exclusivity and the power that it holds, right? Sure. Yeah. That to be Secretary General, you probably have to be from an OECD country. And also, like, to get into it, to be able to contribute is really hard. Yeah. Or at I, least as a process, you have to. Yeah. There is a long process. I don't think anybody cares about that process of, because yeah. it's a state level thing. I think where we were going before that sidetrack yeah. is who works for the OECD. Because it's presumably if there's a secretary general, there's a secretariat, in which yes. case there are people who work for the OECD. But there are also some people like the UN, as you said. Yes. Who are from member states who are in that. Yeah. But we're just guessing. So if you work for the OECD, let us know. Yeah. So I do actually think that, let's just check this now, by the way. Okay. I do actually think that you have to be from an OECD member to work for the OECD secretariat. And you can only be in position for a limited number of years. And then you have to move position. And then I think you're out. I think there's like limited time frame you can be. Okay. Shall I tell you the criteria? Yeah. I don't want this to be like a job ad for the OECD, though. No, but a point is that if I was from Uganda, for example, can yeah. I work for the OECD? Okay. So the criteria, you are a national of an OECD member country. There's an asterisk by there. There are specific exemptions to this rule, which may be referred to in the job description. So potentially you could. Okay. You are less than 65 years of age. Oh, discriminatory. It's very ageist. Although that means there are fewer... Old white men, pros and cons. You are fluent in one of the two official languages. Don't English. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and French. Correct. With a knowledge with a knowledge of or willingness to learn the other. Okay. How do you demonstrate your willingness? So, yeah, that's how you do it. Okay. So, I think the point is we've got this, these policies, these frameworks, these huge indicators, the DAT criteria, and they're all being decided by people that can only work for the OECD member state and reflecting on civil society and other organizations across the world that have no way of influencing that process at all. I understand that there are like civil society consultations, especially like around the Nexus framework. They went, they spoke to people, but still at the power level, the influencing level that probably dictates what gets in or not. There's limited options for other people to be there, essentially. But then I suppose what people in response to that might say it's about economic cooperation and development there's a certain criteria for a reason because that's how it started and i guess we don't really understand do they like the spillover effects what other projects do they do probably they do other projects around the world there's some positives right there is some utility in having generalizable and consistent ways of understanding how you're doing. Creating comparators is helpful. It's helpful how we understand our progress. We see the OEC DAT criteria, the ones we mentioned before, relevance, etc., in all terms of reference. And it almost feels like that's a stamp and it's a given. I'm curious about the space to negotiate that either between us or like internally. Who Who's having that negotiation? And is it like, you know, 
is there something else here that is a better way for us to assess our evaluation or our project or program versus that always being the first kind of stamp and that's how we go? I guess I just wonder and hope that there might be more space for negotiation on that moving forward. If you could only use one of the DAC criteria, which one would it be? Oh gosh, that's a hard one. I think it might have to be impact. You loser. But the other one that like came to tip on my tongue was relevance. Because if you're doing the wrong thing, <laughs> then you really should stop doing it. Yeah. And relevance always feels is one that comes up. It's what a lot of people we interview have a lot to say about. Is this actually what I need or not? Yeah. I think sustainability would be the most important one to me. Okay. Because... Within that space, I think you'd find out like whether it should be sustained mm. or not. And if it can be, because what's the point in doing something if yeah. it's not sustainable? Yeah. Because then you would touch on how you're doing it, how you've used your resources. You would touch on those other things. It feels like you'd inevitably catch all the other stuff when you're looking at the sustainability. Yeah. And I think building on that, the sustainability piece is like where you want to learn that you are no longer needed. And that's the whole point. Right. If someone would be the whole point. Yeah, it should be that, you know, it's sustained and others are doing what's needed to be done without you, then yeah, I I agree. That's good. But my, the funniest thing for me is when we ask teams to prioritize which criteria they really want to focus on, sustainability always gets like draws the short straw yeah (laughs) yes you're right there's probably some good good analysis there as to what people prioritize and why you don't surely you want to know that what you did is going to keep going without Mm. you yeah or else what were you doing it for indeed (laughs) but there was always still that tension there between sustainability being something that people look at also towards the end of a program sure because people at least from an non-governmental organization or the deliverers of the services are like we're wrapping up we've got to focus on a new project is the sustainability something i have time to care about or prioritize Mm. at this point which is not a great way to go and there's no space then let's say you've got a five-year project your project's coming to the end at the end of the five years we're only just looking at sustainability then really yeah and it's too late then if it's not sustainable or it's oh there are signs of sustainability but they just need x y Oh, but the project's ending. Yeah. <laughs> like The two things that come to mind when you're talking there is like nobody, very rarely do we see programs designed for sustainability. Mm. And by sustainability, we mean sustaining the program, not like sustainability, climate change. Right. We're talking about programs being designed to be sustained. I don't see that. We've never evaluated a project that, had that in the design yeah is the civil is like the civil is the capacity strengthening component a piece of sustainability sure but remember that project that we did where they put capacity strengthening of their civil society organizations in their proposal and then stopped funding it after year two (laughs) (laughs) you know who you are it's just an absolute classic you know who you are anyway moving on and the other one is Transition planning Mm. is we have seen a we have seen a number of poorly thought through transition strategies or transition strategies that were non-existent. Yeah, there should be a whole department dedicated to that, in fact. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. We've seen projects that where they will just be like, 
when we asked what was your exit strategy and they said oh we just told the we just told the community we were leaving Mm. (laughs) that's so sad it's really fucked up yeah really okay so cool how can we challenge the OECD's power we (laughs) you and I (laughs) in general how can it's how can it's power be challenged or yeah how can it's power be challenged and does it need to be challenged I think everyone's power needs to be challenged. Not mine, but everyone else's. <laughs> but it's a bit like the conversations that we had around the UN, right? There's mm. so many competing priorities. It's in itself a diplomatic space, right? Like it's headed by a former diplomat. Like yeah. the idea that space it doesn't interact with state sovereignty and prioritization of the national yeah. identity, ambition, whatever, is a farce. Yeah. So... I feel like it should be challenged and I feel like our way of challenging that is potentially through our projects to talk about and look and explore and see what other people and organizations are doing that's outside of that criteria. Yeah. And then to challenge organizations to say, yes, you can maintain the status quo or you can look at other ways of measuring whether or not the work you did was equitable advanced social justice was looking to empower women and other marginalized groups yeah and you may not see that through the other ones in in an explicit way unless that's what you were trying to do yeah i really like this idea of and it's just the start of a question it's just did you think of an alternative mechanism did you think of an alternative criteria even just by asking that question and them saying no it it leaves a little bit of an uncomfortable why didn't you and is that because that's the only one or and i think that come that's something that we can do did you think of an alternative criteria why not and they may have a good answer but they won't but just by asking i think is a really good way to have people think about what alternative mechanisms and policies are out there i think what we should be doing is consolidating a little like a list a public list where we a listicle? Is that what a listicle is? I have no idea. Okay. <laughs> Never uh, a listicle. <laughs> Can I just make that up? Listicle. You'll find all our listicles in our show notes. A listicle is an article that is structured as a list. Oh. Maybe we should create a little listicle of DAC alternatives that we see as we go on our lives and people can add to it. And then we've got a kind of set of alternative criteria. I'd be interested to know what like civil society organizations who aren't using it are doing. Yes. And have been doing Uh, pre-DAC. I'd be interested to know what other people were doing. There is a Made in Africa evaluation framework, which looks at alternative criteria. Nice. You'll have to forgive me. I cannot remember the author, but I will put in the show notes and we'll put that on our listicle. Africa does not forgive you. (laughs) Anyway, yes. So yeah. Yeah, that's a great idea. Uh, And also just becoming aware of alternative, yeah, processes, frameworks and institutions that may have the potential to create or build alternative frameworks and policies yeah yeah i don't think we have to dismantle everything because i'm sure there is some utility (laughs) i think we have to dismantle a few things and i don't think we necessarily need to recreate the wheel but i think it's a fun exercise to do those things yeah we don't have to but i do think it can be a useful exercise to take something apart look at its constituent parts and see if there's room for improvement 
Yeah, I think that's very fair of you. Wow, what happened to you? It's because I've been strategizing, relaxing my mind to think in new ways. Indeed. <laughs> cool. Okay. All right. This has been interesting. Yeah. Really great way to understand the power of the OECD and what we can do to challenge that a bit. Indeed. All right. Well, let's see it then. All right. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. I'm Tia. I'm Lauren. And this has been The Journey to Transformation. Bye for now. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Journey to Transformation. Leave us a five-star rating and a written review wherever you're listening to this podcast. Journey to Transformation is written and edited by us, Tia Rogers and Lauren Burrows. Our music comes from Praz Canal.